This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida, and you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for August 25th, 2020, episode number 2504, brought to you today by Horseware. Good morning, Horse World. Good morning. It's Thursday. Let's kick the tires and light the fires, Big Daddy. Your presence is required on the command deck. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. As per usual, it's the fourth Tuesday of the month, and Tara Carter and her sidekick, Lindsay Fitch, are going to be geeking out on ranch disciplines, but it's going to be a best of this time because they are out and about gathering intel for upcoming episodes. So sit back and tuck in your earbuds and enjoy this review of Trevor Carter's Snafflebit and Hackamore introductions in the long-running series on the Vaquero bridal tradition. It's time for the Bridle Up segment, where we're currently going through each of the stages of the Vaquero Bridal Horse tradition, the Snaffle, the Hackamore, the Two-Rain, and the Bridle. We're progressing through the series with Trevor Carter and gaining his insight on the form and function of each tool, how to choose the best fit for you and your horse, and training tips for using and progressing with each. In previous episodes, we covered the overall tradition of the Bridal Horse, and we started to dive into the Snaffle bit and the form and the function. Today, we're going to ask Trevor what he looks for when he buys a snaffle setup and what he looks for when putting on putting it on his horse. So thanks for joining us today, Trevor. You bet. Glad to be here. So tell us a little bit. We'll start. I mean, we, the things that we would talk about when we're going to put together a snaffle setup, you know, what are the basic components? And then we'll maybe talk about what you look for in each of those. So I'll talk about the headgear first, because usually a snaffle goes on a green horse or a young horse. And with with the green horse comes a little bit of displaced behavior. So what I mean by that is you're going to help this horse understand how to control its emotions, how to focus this horse, and this horse might get a little distracted, or the sessions might be a little bit long. And what I'm getting at is they might get to where they get a little itchy and they might try to scratch their headgear off. So anytime I put a snaffle on, I try to put a brow band headstall on. Sometimes people put on a, a split ear or a, a single ear headstall and if a horse is rubbing his head, he can just slip that headstall off, and then you're stuck with a bridleless horse. So first off, just the heads, the head carriage. I want to be sure that I have a brow band headstall. Um, just sometimes that can be missed. Um, but moving forward, um, what I look for in a snaffle, if, if I'm going to introduce my horse to something in his mouth, I, I want to get it as loose as I can so an O-ring snaffle, a loose ring snaffle, some call it that. It has a lot of mobility. Um, it still functions like a snaffle, um, but the cheek pieces are not fixed. And so that would be the first one I would offer my horse to wear because they're going to be really mouthy and moving it in their mouth. And, you know, having that loose ring, it just allows them to migrate that snaffle in their mouth. And 
you want to be sure you have a chin strap. So it doesn't have to be a tight chin strap. The only function of the chin strap is so that if you pull right and the horse goes left, you're not pulling the head stall through the horse's mouth. So uh, a curb strap has no function for leverage on a snaffle, uh, but it just helps keep that snaffle in the horse's mouth. Um, so that would be the first one I would offer my horse. And, and there's different kinds of snaffles. You can go on the internet and look. Uh, there, there's egg butt snaffles. Uh, there's a D-ring snaffle. And what those help is when you – they help with the outside of the horse's mouth. So I want you to think of coming to pressure and moving away from pressure. So a, a little – a deal you all can do is just you know use your index finger and just pull on the right side of your mouth. That's having the horse give to pressure. And so that's when I pull on the right rein. That touches the side of my horse's mouth. I want them to move to pressure. Now moving away from pressure, take your right hand and push on the left side of your lip and and pull your cheek to the right. So you want your horse to move away from pressure. So that's the outside part of the snaffle. And when you want to progress to that, that's where you start using a D-ring or an egg butt snaffle. That helps keep that snaffle from traveling through the horse's mouth. And then what kind of, you know, the last part, you've talked about the head stall, you've talked about the snaffle, you've talked about the chin strap. And then what about reins? What sort of setup, um, you know, you can talk about the setups that are available or the setups that, and or the type that you prefer to use. Yep. So, you know, starting off, you know, split reins, leather reins, an easy um, picture for everybody to see. You know, leather reins on a snaffle, it's pretty common. Uh, but if you plan to you know, do a lot of getting off or, or leading your horse across things. I might recommend a McCarty line setup. You know, it's a long rope that has a loop set of reins and a lead rope. And it's got a deal called a, a, a rein leather that attaches your rope to the snaffle. The, the function of those, the McCarty line usually has more of a delayed signal. It has a, a situation where the horse can feel the weight coming out before the pressure is applied. Whereas, the split reins or a solid rein on the horse is a direct feel. So, you know, I would think the split reins are a little more refined. Once the horse is gathering and figuring out how to move off the snaffle, I would progress then to a split rein. Because, again, dealing with a snaffle bit horse, they're green. Uh, they might have a few displaced behaviors, and they might accidentally get the reins in their mouth, and they might chew up your nice split rein. So using a McCarty line, that rope – uh, it might be a little more forgiving when they start gnawing on it. And what about weight of reins? Like, there's a lot of people that have really, really, really lightweight reins, like a medium weight and a heavy weight. Can you talk a little bit about the difference of why those weights are important and what they, what the purpose of them is for? You bet. And so, so going with the green horse, and if I say green horse, I'm always thinking of the first introduction. And so. You know, some of these green horses are really head shy. It it can be a lot for them to gather having something in their mouth. Um, and so if you have a really set of heavy reins, you, you want to think and take into account the horse's motion and the movement. So at a walk, it may not be very visible. But when you start trotting that horse and loping that horse, you know, those reins might really get to slinging around if they're really heavy. And I've had my horse... I had some horses where I didn't take that into account. And as we're loping across the pasture, those reins would come up and hit them in the side of the cheek and just kind of startle them. So I, I want to think of the, if where I live, the wind blows. So if I have too light of reins, 
if the wind is, you know, if we got a pretty good breeze of, you know, 15 knots to 20 knots, it's going to move my reins and my horses are actually going to follow that field. So on days like that, I might use a little bit heavier rain, but the main function of weight is to help the release for the, the rider. When you apply the pressure, you can release the horse and the weight of the reins put all the slack back in. So the horse feels an instant release. And so if you choose to use a heavy rein, I just wanted to say that in the beginning, because I didn't even realize that till my rein started hitting my horse in the face. I didn't realize that was a, a situation that could hinder the education. Uh, but I like to test my horses to where, you know, as they're progressing, I put a little bit heavier weight rein on there so that I can apply a little bit slower progression of pressure and see if they can pick up on it sooner. So, you know, having, having weighted reins, I take into account the weather. You know, I also want to take into account the, the sensitivity of my horse because some horses too much weighted reins can really bother them. So at, at, and I want to put in there too, that horse that was really bothered by those weighted reins, it actually learned how to travel smoother and it kept those reins quiet. So, you know, it, having that weighted rein, you can help the horse gather a good cadence to its stride and it becomes really rhythmic. So that question actually leads me to want to ask you about leather split reins. So I was just at an event this weekend and they had a lot of nice gear and I'd be sending Trevor pictures asking, well, do you like this or what about this? And one thing that gives me anxiety when I look at good gear or trying to purchase gear is split leather reins. How, what do you prefer? Like to me, there's options of, you know, all the same length. They get weighted at the end. You can have them long. Like what, what are either are the different choices in leather reins and, or what is your choice in leather split reins? So going along Lindsay's question too, with the weighted rein, um, some of those can be double stitched. So they have two sets of reins sewn together. And so those are really heavy. Um, that, that puts a lot of drape, a, a lot of slack in your rein. It helps maintain a loose rein. That's the reason they're weighted, so that the horse can can have no feel on his mouth until you truly pick up on him. Um, but I don't like to have them too, too light. I want my leather reins to be of good leather. And so what I mean by that is just, you know, take a, some leather and just bend it and, and see how pliable it is. I like a, a three-quarter inch to a half inch size, uh, split rein. Three quarters are pretty thick. Uh, but that way I can feel it in my hands. Uh, but th- there's a wide variety, like you said, of different sizes, but I, d- I don't like getting too thin of rain to where, you know, it feels like I have thread in my hands. I want to have a good thickness to it. Like I said, the pliability has got to be really important. And as you said, the weighted reins on the end, that's more just to keep them down dragging on the ground so they don't get tangled up in your hands. What about, so like when you, when I think of thickness, I think, you know, if I was to pinch the rain, that's thick thickness to me. Are there, do they vary in width of rain? Like the, you know, if you were to hold them in your hand, how, how much of your fingers would be left to curl around? Well, that's where they get into the double stitch. So usually the thickness is, you know, just, just over a quarter of an inch. So that, you know, the hide is, can't be any thicker. Than a cowhide, so you want to be sh- a lot ago. So you want to be sure that if you get it double stitched, that's going to be a pretty bulky rein in your hand. Uh, so usually they're just a single leather, and you're talking more about the width. Okay. And so the width versus the the thickness. Yeah. 
What about how you connect leather reins versus like McCarty reins? So with with McCarty reins, usually you know you can have horsehair reins, you can have rope reins. Uh, some people use parachute cord. There's there's all styles of ropes that you can use for your reins. Um, but if you just think of like a latigo or a billet, you know that's usually what the rein leather is attached to the snaffle. Whereas when you have split reins, you know they've got a little keeper on the end uh, that you can just tie a nice little square knot and it's connected. Sometimes with split reins, people wrap those reins around the fence and the horse sets back and boom, it breaks your reins. So, um, you know, when you attach your reins to the snaffle, uh, some people use a clip. You know, if they've got lots of different styles of snaffles and you only have a few set of reins, uh, you could put snaps on the end of it. The only thing about a snap is is there's a lot of activity. You know, if, if you think of like an earring, if you have a dangling earring and you're trotting, that earring is always moving in your ear. So you want to think when that snap is connected to that snaffle, that, that's kind of, to me, it's static. You know, it's like white noise. It just, just to me, it agitates me. So I want to be sure that I, I try to attach, you know, my range directly to the snaffle. And what about care for your equipment? Like we've gone over the different styles of reins and things. Like how do you keep them clean or oiled or well-conditioned? What are your do's and don'ts of your experience? What I like to use, I like to use olive oil. And and so, you know, whether I'm cleaning my head stalls or my reins or my saddles, I try to use some really good olive oil. That tends to last really well. And I'm out here in a dry climate, so I try to do it at least three to four times a year and what i what i'm really careful of is if any of my gear gets wet so whether it accidentally gets rained on or if i'm taking my horses to water a bunch and they're drinking in my gear i try to keep an eye on it and not let it get too dry and so i, I try to make oil is really good olive oil i try to use quite a bit but the biggest thing is just keeping it clean and hung properly and so split reins are a must you know you, there's there's a lot of videos out there that you know you can show you the correct way how to hang your split reins you don't want to be the gunsel that just puts them up incorrectly it's hard for me to describe that on a microphone um but as far as care goes what i try to do whether it's a mccarty line or a split rein i I try to hang my stuff as it sits on my horse and so i try to keep my reins behind my head stall and i try to keep my reins even as they hang on the on the tack room wall that way i can always look and get a quick glimpse of seeing where my gear is. And if it's if it's unbalanced or if it's out of sorts, I go over and check it out. And if it needs some uh, care, then I'll go and give it. And usually what I do around here is on a bad weather day, which we don't have very many of, um, I'll dust my stuff off and I'll apply some saddle, uh, olive oil to it. I, I'm going to jump in here now because being an English writer primarily, uh, all about snaffles. When it comes to snaffle bits... I would love to hear your take on care because sometimes you get the snaffle bits, particularly if it's an egg butt or a D ring style, they mm-hmm. want to get squeaky in that hinge that you're there, or you might have some that want to be rusty or some that are supposed to be rusty. Where do you land on taking care of the bits? Yep. So I don't mind a little bit of rust on my bridles as long as I'm aware of the reason I'm doing it. And so you know, the folks that I've learned from, you know, rust, you know, it helps them salivate. It it, it, it doesn't hinder, uh, it's a mineral really. So, you know, when the horse is, 
is able to accommodate that in their mouth. I don't try to get rid of the rust. You know, I used to live in a really humid climate, and so my gear would just rust all the time. And so I would kind of, before I'd put it in my horse's mouth, make sure the function of it was good. And if it wasn't functioning, I wouldn't mind putting a little bit of WD-40 on it. Ah! And On the not mouthpiece part. Well, and so what I would do <laughs> on the functioning part of the bridle that's really stuck, I've got to weigh my options. Do I put that in my horse and let my horse work it out? Or do I apply WD-40 and wipe it away the best I can and then dip it in, uh, you know, some water or, heck, I've even used some Listerine just to make sure I get rid of all that, you know, <laughs> supposed toxic stuff before I put it in my horse's mouth. But, no, I don't I don't just apply WD-40 and then don't put it in my horse's WD-40 mouth. Don't spray WD-40 in your horse's mouth. That's not what no, we're I, saying. No, I'm not trying to say that, no. But if <laughs> that's what I'm saying. If my bit is so rusted that it is lacking function, well, then I might wait a couple days and uh, – Make sure all those hinges are nice and loosened up, or I might look to hang it up on the, the wall inside the house and go get another one. Yeah. There's there's a difference. Again, this is coming from the point of view of an English writer. And as an English writer, I'm less familiar with the assortment of different metals that might be available to your, in your typical mm-hmm. uh, bits marketed towards the Western market. The type of bit you're probably seeing a lot in, in your tack room is a type of metal that is designed so it can naturally develop the rust or corrosion on the exterior of it. And it's designed to do that way. So as that happens, it's not something that's sharp and nasty versus a stainless steel bit that develops pits that are rust, which are sharp. Yes. Two different things. You hit the nail on the head. Yes. And and that's the thing on those loose string snaffles. Usually the ring is stainless steel. And the mouthpiece is that iron that allows that little bit of rust. So, yeah, I'm always checking. And that's what, you know, like when Lindsay asked about the care, I'm, I'm always, you know, as I'm walking to my horse or if I'm going to ride a lot of snaffle bit horses that day, I carry my snaffle bit out and just check my hinges and, and make sure everything's good. And, and I try to clean them after every ride as well, just because I, I ride a lot of different horses. So um, that's one way to keep track of your gear. Uh, but it, it was a good point you made about a stainless steel bit rusting. That's where it can become pretty pretty rough on them. And there's I have one more snaffle bits question and then I'll I'll, I'll stop hijacking the interview. <laughs> is there are there any types or well this is a better question. Are there any red flags that someone should be looking for that's going to tell them that they've got a snaffle bit in their horse's mouth that is just not the right fit or is, is there something that I should be watching for going oh shoot that bit doesn't fit that horse. You and so you know, we're, we're, you first want to measure, you know, the width of your horse's mouth and go, how do you do that? Well, just put like a, a ruler on top of their nose and see what the measurement is on the outside of their muzzle. And so sometimes people can buy a snaffle that's just not wide enough. And so it's constantly pinching. You know, if you just take your index fingers and push in on your lips and your cheeks, like that can be really irritating. So at first the measurement, I believe, uh, the standard length, if, I could be incorrect, but I think it's about five and a half. Um, but they do make a lot of different widths for horses. You know, some horses' muzzles are quite a bit wider. Um, and so I want to be sure to check the width of that snaffle because if it's just caving on my horse's mouth, it's really hard to offer my horse a good feel. It's just like a hat. If your hat's too small, it's going to give you a headache before you can ever really enjoy wearing it. So I would first make sure the, the bit is wide enough to fit in your horse's mouth. And then as far as the actual fit, I, I don't like to – 
tighten my head stall so tight that I have wrinkles on my horse's uh, mouth. But I try to get it to where it's just snug, just like a good shoe. Like when the shoe fits, it's not cramming your toes and it's not hurting your heels. It just fits. So when I hang that snaffle in that horse's mouth, I want it to be just resting on the top of their mouth. Uh, but for sure, the first thing I check, Jen, is the width of the bridle. That's usually where most of the commons are, m- common problems start. What about, um, I know sometimes I've picked up snaffles and I've showed it to you, and you've said, oh, I don't like that type because I think it pinches the side of their mouth. What, like, how do you, you know, I always feel like I have to show it to you, like, is this one of those? So how would you describe that? <laughs> sometimes with a snaffle, with an O-ring snaffle, sometimes that can pinch the side. You know, with the egg butt where it hinges, sometimes that can pinch. Um, But the biggest thing is be aware, be cautious. They actually sell some protective, uh, like little plastic like called, you know, bit protectors. You can put them in between the horse's lips and the bridle if you're really concerned about that. Um, But I I try to, you know, I I tend to ride my horses 45 minutes to an hour and a half if I'm going through a a large string. Uh, But if I'm out riding them all day, you know, I'll constantly check to make sure if they're getting rubbed or not. Um, but it's just something to pay attention to the, the hinge and the function. So I've got a, I've got a D ring or sorry, I've got an egg butt that's over 20 years. And so it's, it's really loose. Uh, the hinges are starting to have a wider gap and I can see that it's starting to pinch. And so it's, it's about time for me to hang it up. You know, I've had, it's, it's been used almost every single day I've ridden a horse. And so that hinge has worn itself so wide that when it engages, it can't help but grab a little bit of skin and pinch. So, you know, first when you buy them, uh, you know, it's really hard to simulate putting it in a horse's mouth. But just see how fluid the hinges are uh, and just know going into it when you apply a snaffle to a horse's mouth, you know, it's hanging there. They might lip it. They might try to bite on it and chew on it. It, it just takes a little bit of time to where that horse's mouth gets used to it. Yeah. I feel like a lot of times we are able to go to trade shows that have lots of uh, you know, use gear that's for sale. And so it's helpful to know that, oh, I might be getting a great deal on this really nice, you know, used bit, but it could also be that sort of situation yeah. where it's yeah. it's lost its function. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what about um, head stalls? When you go to head stall leather, is there a certain type of leather that you like? Um, do you try to you know, how do you choose when you get one that has silver or just buckles or, you know, kind of what do you look for in your head stall purchases? So being picky, I can be these days. But when I first started out, I would buy head stalls and I wouldn't know the difference of quality leather versus premium leather and, like you said, buckles and whatnot. So first off, you want to think of how is your head stall attached to itself? Is it stitched? Is it uh, riveted or does it have screws? And so with these screws, sometimes when you buy head stalls and, and you do a lot of riding, those screws can actually come loose. Uh, so maybe a little tidbit, if you do buy a head stall that has some screws in it, uh, you can drop some nail polish in there or some super glue and solidify that screw uh, to where your head stall won't come apart. Because I've been guilty of that where I was riding along, all of a sudden my head stall comes detached from the snaffle. And it was all because I didn't tighten uh, the screw down. And so another thing I want to look for for material is, you know, if I can get that piece of leather in my fingers and just start bending on it, if it starts cracking with just a little bit of flexibility, you know, obviously it's dry, it needs some conditioning. Um, but it, you just want to be careful of what you 
what you pay for. And so I try to test the pliability, just like those reins. I want to see a head stall that's, that's oiled. I would like to see the maker oil. And now, again, if you go to a tax store, usually they're going to have a, a, a lot of common head stalls. And, you, and it's, an, it's an easy way to get into the game. But if you're really looking to get some really quality gear, um, really test it and feel it in your hands and, and check out the whole head stall, the brow band, the throat latch, down where the snaffle connects. Just, just check out the gear. And as far as buckles, if – if I'm just getting a good functioning, working head stall, I want to check those buckles. How easy is it to, you know, lengthen and shorten the head stall? Because you don't want to put a snaffle on a horse's mouth and then struggle with the buckle when you're trying to tighten or loosen it. Uh, you want to check the function of those buckles. Is it smooth? Is it easy to work? Um, and a lot of my working head stalls are stainless steel. Um, but sometimes when you get into some silver, some sometimes they're silver plated. Um Sometimes they're sterling silver. That's where you start to do a little bit price your head stall. But for the most part, um, really put it in your hands and feel it and, and work it in your hands to see if, it, if it's a good quality feel. And I would always recommend trying a lot of different head stalls before you make a, make a purchase. If you see – if you've got four booths or four tax stores, tax stores you can go to, try out all the head stalls in your hands and then compare them and make the best judgment. Where do you – for this equipment, do you have favorite stores that you shop in person? Do you shop online? Like where, where do you like to buy all of your equipment and where do you look for it the most? So, you know, I, I've, it's a good question because I have a lot of favorites. Um, you know, starting off, uh, what I try to do for head stalls is, you know, if, if I'm just getting a work in the head stall, there's a place called National Roper Supply, and they've got bulk equipment. So if you need a, a wide range of different head stalls, a wide range of styles, a wide range of different reins, that's an easy way to go um, shopping. Like You don't have to purchase anything, but you can just go graze and look around. Um, but as far as if, if I wanted some really nice gear, what I try to do from a head stall standpoint is there's some really nice shops out west and a couple places that I like to go. It's called JM Capriola, and they're in Elko, Nevada. Uh, there's another place called D Bar M, and they're in Reno, Nevada. And and again, there, there's a lot of nice places. Uh, there's a, a a bigger company called Buckaroo Business. You can try them. Then that's all on you know the internet. Let's see who else. Uh, Sarah Hagel has some really, really quality gear. I think she's out of Wyoming. Um, and she also does a lot of horse hair hits. She's got a good McCarty setup. And, you know, it, it, it's endless, really, once you start talking about gear. Uh, but those are a few that I would try. Um, you know, each year about this time, they have a traditional artist um, championship. So all these artists have been building bridles and head stalls and reins and bits through the winter months and then they start auctioning them off and so there's a trappings event in alpine texas uh there's a cowboy artist oh, i forget the name. Yeah. It's, there's what? traditional cowboy artists of america yep um they have a western heritage classic in abilene so sometimes going to that have trade shows that really celebrate those artists, you can find, you know, almost collector type pieces. Um, but you can also find some really quality gear at those events too. And I get a lot of questions. Why, why are you buying such nice gear? They're going to go rub it off. Or I, I try to look at it as a token to my horse. I want my horse to, 
to know that I'm putting the best gear in front of them. And I try to work hard to help. You know, I have some friends that braid some reins and some ropes and I try to, you know, add some value to their stuff and, and use it every day so that they get to know that their gear is being used too. So. Well, thanks. That, that helps us figure out um, how we'd like to look at when we're going to put together our setup with a headstall or a snaffle uh, and then what type of reins, you know, you might choose. It all comes down to personal preference, but if you can be able to make your personal preference backed upon quality and function, then you really feel like you're investing in some gear that's going to last you for a long time. So on the next episode, what we're planning to do um, is talk more about just some training tips with the snaffle and how to know when you're ready to progress out of the snaffle and into the hackamore. So thanks for joining us today, Trevor. You bet. I look forward to the next time. And now it's song time. This time we're going to step out a little bit for me. I'm usually a Templeton Thompson gal. This time we're going to do some Dan Roberts with cowhand.com. on to this brand new ranch it was owned by a bunch of fancy pants but they did have several high dollar trucks and trailers well there was barns and pens it was under construction and i was informed by phone i'd receive my instruction in a video arriving in a padded mailer it said sort the cows in pen 11 then bring us a tag so we can scan them and i didn't have a clue but i took a sack full of them to headquarters There was a lady at a computer typing in numbers, and the more she typed, the more I felt dumber, and she said, yep, 501's too old, gotta go back and sort her. (laughs) I replied, I ain't no cowhand, cowhand.com. I don't know where I just landed, scroll me back to where I'm from, cause I don't need no printout telling me that it's time to wean. Never seen a cow. Pulled by a machine And this information highway Keeps my pony sore and lean I ain't no cowhand.com Well, my security pass slash photo ID Opened the gate and picked out a horse for me And you punch in a code and it start an automatic feeder course you still had to step over what them cows was downloading and you did hair analysis with a digital modem and put a cow up on the screen it'd tell you which bull's gonna breed her well then they give me this laptop from my saddlebags and it got dusty out riding drag and i knew the boss was gonna have my hide well they said just boot it up open the windows something about a mouse and a bunch of menus so i hauled off and kicked it I kept the windows closed cause it was freezing outside. I ain't no cowhand, cowhand.com. I don't know where I just landed, scroll me back to where I'm from. Cause I don't need no printout telling me which stall to clean. Never seen a horse shot by a machine. This information highway keeps my pony sore and lean. I ain't no cowhand.com. Well, then they start talking downsizing and linking up. I told them I was heading for the tall and the uncut. They could stick that pinium right in their AOL. 
They was faxing emails and hazing the web, and they even had a megabyte RAM. That sounds inbred. I reckon those people wouldn't know the difference between a hard drive and a paper trail. I ain't no cowhand, cowhand.com. Don't need no information highway to get back to where I'm from. And I don't need no printout telling me which coat is green. Never seen a bronc broke by a machine. Besides, this little cell phone just don't fit good in my jeans. I ain't no cowhand.com. I ain't no HTTP colon backslash backslash all one word, all little letters. www.cowhand.com. Yeah, that's what you get when you try to cross one of them computers with a cowboy. And now our own Dr. Wendy Ying speaks with Roger from Greenflower Botanicals in a series we call CBD Oil 101. Today we're going to do CBD Oil 101. So Roger, what is CBD oil and how can it benefit us? Uh, First of all, CBD is a cannabinoid that we find in hemp as well as in marijuana plants. And so hemp and marijuana are kind of sister plants. And we extract that out of the hemp plant, and it is one of about 100 different cannabinoids that are found in these plants. And each of these cannabinoids have some type of medicinal benefit. CBD especially carries just a tremendous amount of medicinal benefits. If you're familiar with the medical marijuana movement, CBD is actually the cannabinoid that's responsible for most of the medicinal benefit coming out of the the medical marijuana movement. But the difference is it, unlike THC, which is probably the most famous cannabinoid people are familiar with, uh, it does not get you high. It has no intoxicating properties to it. And because we're able to extract it out of hemp, it's federally legal and and legal in all states. And what kind of conditions can we use CBD oil for in both people and animals? Well, CBD actually can be used for a host of things. Some of the most popular ones are anxiety, it's an anti-inflammatory, it's an analgesic, so it's wonderful for uh, combating pain. It is antioxidant, uh, and it's also good for nausea and things of that, so very soothing to the stomach. But again, probably the lion's share of people that are purchasing it are coming at it for to relieve pain or anxiety in their horses or their animals. For for dogs, it's wonderful for separation anxiety or they get upset with storms, um, joint uh, issues, stomach issues, um, things like that. For, for horses, a lot of people are using it for arena anxiety and helping the animal learn more. So there's really so much um, that CBD oil can do. Well, we're going to continue this conversation about CBD oil in weeks to come. So, Roger, how can people find Greenflower and your products? Uh, Very easy. Uh, You can go right to the website, which is greenflowerbotanicals.com. All of our products are there, and also we have a special coupon code for our HRN listeners. So once you're at checkout and you see the area for the coupon, just put in HRN, and uh, that'll give you 20% off any of our products. If you show your horses, please check with your federation on the legal use of CBD oil. 
In the world of horse racing and elite equestrian sports, it's all about how to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe is a truly portable and highly efficient circulation therapy system for your horse. Before activity, prepare to prevent damage by using the Ice Vibe's vibration pads. Repair after the event by using the unique combination of cold packs and vibration to minimize swelling and encourage blood flow. And because it's battery powered, Ice Vibe is truly portable. The essential and affordable tool to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe. You can find out more details about Ice Vibe at ice-vibe.com or horseware.com. Or ask your local tax shop or online supplier for more information about Ice Vibe Circulation Therapy from Horseware. So it's time again for our Bridal Up segment, where we're currently going through each of the stages of the Vaquero Bridal Horse tradition, the Snaffle, the Hackamore, the Tourain, and the Bridal. We're progressing through the series with Trevor Carter and gaining his insight on the form and function of each tool, how to choose the best fit for you and your horse, and training tips for using and progressing with each. Uh, In last episode, we covered different things like the weight of the reins, testing the buckle, silver, no silver, different you know, hinges function, yielding to, yielding from, you know, what, where's Trevor's trusted sources are for buying uh, his equipment or his favorite places. So today we're going to talk to him more about the training and progression of training in a snaffle. So Trevor, could you just tell us a little bit, what do you look for from the horse when you're training in the snaffle? So when I introduce a horse to a snaffle, um, you know, I try to look at like the first couple of rides or even a horse that I recently might've bought that I'd like to hang the snaffle in the horse's mouth and, and, you know, if I can be on the ground and just kind of bend them around and get them to give me some lateral flexion, I want to get a feel of what they think of the snaffle. So some things that I look for, I look to see whenever I pull the rein around, if I turn it loose, do they whip their head straight again or do they hold their head around? You know, I, I want to get a gauge of what my horse thinks a release is. So that way when I get on their back, I can have a better idea of, of what to be looking for. You know, sometimes I might even put my hand over their neck and gather both reins and just see how well they might back up off of both reins or maybe get a soft feel just, just to give me a perspective um, before I get in the saddle. So once I get in the saddle, uh, things I'm looking for from a colt perspective or from a horse that I don't know a lot about of, I'm going to, I'm going to alter how I use my reins. So, you know, you've heard folks say, don't, don't pull, don't, don't hang on the reins. Something that I look to introduce a horse to with my rein usage, I'm going to pull up on the rein. So if you all can imagine yourself on a horse, uh, instead of me pulling the rein directly to me or to my hip or to my thigh, I'm going to grab that left rein and I'm going to lift up the same angle as the headstall. I'm almost lifting it up towards the sky. So if you can imagine how that bit pulls on the horse's mouth, that first introduction of the snaffle, I want to pull on the the lips of the horse's mouth. Whereas if I just pull straight back to me, if if you can just think of pulling yourself, you know, as you sit in your truck or as you're, as you're sitting, listening to this, you know, audio, if you pull straight back, you're going to pull not only on their lips, but on their bars. And some horses might, you know, be offended to that. So my first initial use of the reins, I'm going to be lifting up and around to help just make contact on their lips. So, you know, that's, that's a starting point that I would do with any horse. Um, you know, somebody asked me, Hey, Trevor, can you get on this horse for me? That's how I would see, that's how I would introduce those reins, uh, to that horse. 
So one of the things that we we actually wanted to ask you about in the last segment, so I'm going to backtrack a little bit here, uh, is we were wondering about cavisons. You know, what mm-hmm. are they? Why people use them? Do you use them? Difference between Western using them, English using them? Just kind of just a general overview of the cavison and then kind of your approach to a cavison. So if, if I were to use a cavison, and it's not something that I use regularly, uh, some horses just have a hard time, you know, yielding to and from the pressure of the snapple. And, and sometimes horses can learn to open their mouth. So we want to talk about why use a cavison. Well, so if, if a horse has had a lot of pressure on them, or like I said, they're just not understanding the use of pressure, they can open their mouth, called gap in their mouth, so they can get away from the reduced pressure. The, the pressure is reduced on their mouth. So some people put cavisons on to keep that mouth closed so that the horse cannot get away. And so if I were to use a cavison, it'd be on a horse that's, that's really busy in the mouth. They chew on the bridle. When you pull on the rein, they might open their mouth. Uh, but I want to talk more about the fit of the cavison. I, I want to be sure I can put at least two fingers in that cavison because it's not a matter of keeping the mouth shut. It's a matter of giving the horse a correction if they open their mouth. So you want to think of if you have it too close and too snug, the horse is still going to always try to open their mouth. And if you have it large around their nose, it's almost like uh, self-inflicted pressure. It acts almost like a hot fence. You know, if you're walking along a hot fence, the hot fence doesn't jump out and shock you. It only engages if you go and touch it. So the use of the cavison, if it's loose, when the horse finally opens their mouth, boom, they hit the cavison. So it, it's used in a way that it'll teach the horse, if he just keeps his mouth shut and yields, then he won't run into the cavison. Um, but like I said, I, I try not to use them because it's a good test for me on how well I'm communicating with my horse. Uh, but it, but again, some horses we get in, they have some developed habits and or we have like an anxious horse that has just really had trouble understanding what pressure is and i and i don't mind putting one on but i will wean them off of the cavison to see if progress is being made because you want to be sure that you don't have a cavison on as a crutch you don't want to just have it on there and believe that the horse is going to be great without it so in any horse show that i show in you're not allowed to show in a cavison so you got to be real careful in in my line of work that you don't just rely on the cavison to give you the response you're looking for. So some rules of the cavison, make sure you have enough space in there that you can at least put two fingers in there. Uh, I don't want to have it too low, um, but also take the cavison off during the ride and see if you are finding progress with your horse. Okay. Thank you. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to digress from where we were headed with this, but I know that's something that is a common question and we didn't have an opportunity to touch on it during the last episode. So mm-hmm. one of the things that Lindsay and I were talking about is kind of what what are some of the things that you want to see a horse pass in a snaffle? So Lindsay's going to ask you kind of more about that. You bet. So one of the things that you seem to be really good about is like breaking down what it is that you like your horses to be able to successfully like pass or do in their training so when you're riding a horse in a snaffle like what is your checklist of things that throughout your ride that you're making sure you're testing on the right or the left or in both or in 
like on loose rein contact in your snaffle that you want your horse to pass in. And then like, how does that checklist even apply when you have a bridal horse that comes in for a tune-up that you're going to have put in training that you'll often put back in the snaffle to improve some of their, you know, uh, some of their feel and getting them prepped. Like how does that, does that checklist change for the age of the horse or can you tell us a little bit about that process for you? You bet Lindsay. So, I'll start with the first one with how do I progress out of the snaffle? How do I know my horse and I are getting better to move along? Well, what I, I try to use the snaffle. Um, one of the first checklists that I try to do is, is transition. See if I can transition downward from any gate without the use of the bridle. So that's always a good test for any rider that shows up or, you know, something that you can test on your own is can I ride around on a loose rein and can my horse feel of my energy you know, if I'm trotting, can I relax? Can I slow down to a walk with just my body without using the reins? Uh, can I be loping along or canning along and relax enough to trot or maybe walk or maybe even stop and back up? So, you know, that, that's, that's a big test for a lot of folks uh, just as a the first checkoff list to know if I'm progressing. Because a lot of us, we know we can get the downward transition with the use of the reins. Uh, but it's more of a challenge to sit there and say, okay, can the horse feel me reduce my riding and can my horse slow down with my body uh, without the use of the rein? So that's where I'm going to start first. That's going to be an, a, a good challenge. Then my next is I, I like to ride with my body and be able to turn with my body. Um, and so, you know, using my hips and my legs, if I can ride a circle with my body without using my reins, and I try to do this at the walk and the trot. Sometimes the canter can be pretty, pretty challenging for folks. But if my horse can check off a walk and a trot, riding a circle, riding around like a serpentine style uh, pattern with just my body, that's letting me know that my horse has a good understanding of staying at the same speed, but kind of mo- uh, it, the horse allows himself to be molded with me. And then, you know, the use of the snaffle, what I try to do is, you know, as I introduce the snaffle, I'm riding with two hands and I do a lot of opening gates. I do a lot of, you know, I like to have things in my, in my hands, whether it be a rope, whether it be a flag, whether I can bounce a ball. I like to drink coffee. So I ride my coffee mug often. So <laughs> what, what I'm getting at is I try to ride with my, my reins where I can ride in one hand. And so I'm testing out how well does my horse back up? How well does my horse go sideways? How well can I open a gate? And how well can I ride those patterns, whether it be a circle or a square, if I have one hand on the rein? So it'd be ideal, Lindsay, to to check off all those things with minimal use of my snaffle. And if it's something that you can think about as you're listening to this, if, if you can just put your reins in your left hand and don't worry about split reins or anything, just have your reins your left rein is coming out of your left pinky and your right rein is coming out of your, your index finger. It's all on your left hand. What I try to do is I try to work on lateral flexion just by rotating my wrist. So if I want to have my horse bend to the right, I rotate my wrist to the right and that right rein is pulled with my index finger. And then I try to rotate to the left and I pull the left rein with my left index finger. That's going to test out my softness quotient and see if my horse can bend or flex or give me really good suppleness in our lateral flexion. If I can do that one-handed, then I know 
that my horse has a really good understanding of flexion. It, it doesn't need a lot of help knowing where to bend. And so if, if I can go out on a ride and ride 75% of the time with the reins in one hand and my horse just needs a little nudge with the rotation of my wrist, then I know things are progressing. So if y'all, if y'all can, again, imagine you're riding your horse, the, the wider my hands are from the horse's withers, the greener the horse. The closer I can ride my hands to the withers, the more seasoned my horse is. So, so those are checklists that I can go through to say, okay, now it might be time to start advancing out of the snaffle to my next tool. And, and I, I, I really try to ride with my left hand. I really try to ride with just my right hand just to give myself the benefit of being ambidextrous, but also helping my horse feel those moments. And so the, the transition period, the rider, now you can decide, man, can I go check out all those things? Can I check out my transitions without my reins? Can I go and open and close the gate? Can I side pass with the reins in one hand? Can I carry, you know, whether it be a flag or a stick or something in one hand and get that done? Those, those are good checkoff lists to let you know that you, it's now time for you and your horse to start looking for the next tool, which leads into your next question, Lindsay, of, you know, when you have an aged horse or a bridle horse or a horse that's been ridden in different tools, how can you help them increase their maneuvers by going back to a snaffle? And that's the neat thing about the snaffle. You know, we just got done going to the, the celebration of champions and there's a competition called the world's greatest horsemen. And it's four events with one bridle, and so all these horses have to be shown in different events. And as I watched those folks get their horses ready, 75% of them were in a snaffle tuning up their horses. So what, what I, with your question about taking an aged horse or an older horse back to a snaffle, what do you look for? Well, again, like the snaffle, like I mentioned the terrace question, I try to get that flexion really, really good, lateral flexion. So you know, sometimes riding a bridle, the horse gets a little straighter through their through their body. They they don't always keep that flexion or that nice sequence of suppleness in their body. So when I get an older horse, I get a lot of you know uh, horses throughout the year that just come and they need a little more education. And by going back to the snaffle lens, you can really find you know some stiff spots in their in their. Uh, suppleness and something I look for. So if you can imagine yourself, you're looking down at your horse and you bend their head around for lateral flexion. What I see a lot of horses do is they'll, they'll bend and they'll, they'll give you their eye and they'll give you their nose. But if you look at their chin in relation to their shoulder, it, it's, it could be improved. So something to look for, if you're listening to this saying, well, I have an older horse and he rides fine in a bridle, how could I go back to a snaffle? How could that help me? Well, when you bend your horse around, you might ask that horse to keep flexion until their chin starts closing the distance to its, its shoulder. So as you listen to this, just think of looking to your right and bending your chin to your shoulder, just how that gives you a different feel through your neck, through your body. That's a good challenge I put on older horses. Um, it's almost like uh, giving them a stronger pop quiz if they don't know, you, you need to give me better flexion. So some horses I do that at a standstill to teach them. Other horses I do that in motion. Um, so like counter arcs or just riding on a circle, I'll look for that lateral flexion and wait for that chin to give and be really soft. That, that's, a, that's a good exposure for the horse 
to where you can say, all right, you need to be doing a little bit better than what you are. Um, but I, I really enjoy going back to the snaffle on an older horse just because, you know, I, the same way I answered the first question, Lindsay, on how do you know when you can progress a green horse? I go back and check out the older horse. Can I do all those things in one hand with a snaffle? Or, and sometimes you'll find with a bridle horse, they'll push, push on a snaffle. Uh, they become quite pushy in their mouth. Uh, they rely on the leverage or the curb strap to engage. Uh, but when you go back to a snaffle, they feel a little bit heavier. Um, so, so I try to check out those things in a snaffle uh, to see because it'll, it'll reveal itself in a snaffle, whereas in a bridle, uh, the bridle might hide some of those behaviors. That's all been really helpful information. Another question we had would be, what are the myths and truths about the snaffle? So you hear a lot of things of like, I would always do this with my snaffle or, oh no, I would never do that. Like I would never tie in my snaffle or I would always lead in my snaffle or, you know, could you just give us a little bit of insight into the myths and truths about how that applies and what you do? You bet. And that, and that is a, you know, uh, a lot of people, kind of refrain from tying because they don't want their equipment broke. That's probably the biggest reason why I wouldn't tie with certain headgear is in case my horse set back or, you know, if, if it's while it's being tied, they might chew on my reins. Um, but I try to do a lot of my groundwork in my snaffle. Once my horse is seasoned in the snaffle, um, you know, I try to use some split reins or some McCarty reins and I try to do some groundwork. So my horse learns that even though it gets pulled on the ground, it still has to follow that feel when it's around its pole. So, you know, as far as tying a horse to the snaffle, if you trust the horse doesn't pull back and you've done your homework um, to where that horse knows how to be tied in a halter, uh, but you also understand the risk that if you tie them, they might chew on your reins or they might rub their, you know, like if you ride the horse for a certain period of time and they get sweaty and they get itchy, they might rub on your head stall. As long as you're aware of that, then I don't see a problem tying your horse with a snaffle. But um, if I do tie with a snaffle, like with loose rein, uh, split reins, I'll, I'll wrap those reins. Um, and then if I have a McCarty line set up, it's it's tricky to describe through an audio piece. Uh, but I, I can tie my horses hard, like they had a halter on with that rope set up. But overall, I want to make sure all my horses can trot off of a field if I pull on the rein. Um, but I, I try to do a lot of my groundwork. Uh, I send them in and out of gates. I send them through our wash rack area. I sometimes even go catch them with my snaffle and, and do the groundwork on my way to the saddle. It's just a way to be efficient. Uh, but also, if you're ever caught in a bind and you had to do something and that's the only headgear you had on your horse, you knew you'd done your preparation ahead of time. Yeah, I feel like that's one thing you're always doing a great job is preparing for the what-if scenario. So. I really loved learning about what kind of my main takeaway was that, you know, the more green and the more you're learning in a snaffle that your hands are wider. And as the more you progress, you start to get your hands closer and closer. So that sounds like it sets us up perfectly for when we talk about in the next episodes, the hackamore. So thank you so much for joining us today, Trevor, and sharing with us your insights on riding in and progressing out of the snaffle. Total Saddle Fit has the cinch that you've been looking for for your Western saddle. The shoulder relief cinch actually changes the position and angle of the billets to prevent the saddle tree from interfering with the shoulder. 
The center of the cinch is set forward to sit in the horse's natural girth groove, while the sides of the cinch are cut back to meet the billets two inches behind where the horse's natural girth groove lies. This brings the latigos from angling forward to becoming perpendicular to the ground, which reduces the saddle's tendency to be pulled forward into the shoulders. With horses that have shoulder interference without angled billets, it simply moves the billets back to keep the saddle further away from the shoulders. The secondary benefit to this shape is the cutback at the elbows. This gives more room for elbow movement as well and prevents galls in the elbow area. You can find the shoulder relief cinch at totalsaddlefit.com. That's totalsaddlefit.com. It's time for the bridle up segment where we're currently going through each of the stages of the Vaquero bridle horse tradition, the snaffle, the hackamore, the two rein, and the bridle. We're progressing through the series with Trevor Carter and gaining his insight on the form and function of each tool, how to choose the best fit for you and your horse, and training tips for using and progressing with each. We've just wrapped up the whole series on the snaffle, and so today we're going to talk with Trevor about the form and the function of the hackamore. So thanks for joining us, Trevor. You bet. Glad to be here. So tell us a little bit about the hackamore. I mean, you've told us a little bit about the overall history, but you may want to recap some of that. But we really just want to talk about the form and function of the hackamore and why it is a stage in the training progression. Well, early on, you know, snapple was very rarely, if ever, used um, in the in the breaking of a horse. The hackamore was actually the halter. It was the tool that was used to halter break the horses, and then which led to riding the horse in the hackamore. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of books out there. There's a, a really nice book, Hackamore Rangeman by Ed Canale. Uh You can read up on that, and that's a really good book uh, to get a few more um, details on this. But, you know, it was a early and easy transition uh, to just be out of the horse's mouth because the horse was obviously wild. They were trying to tame it. And so, therefore, having the hackamore helped educate the horse to where they were riding it. And so what the hackamore is, it, it, and I don't want to confuse a hackamore with a mechanical hackamore. A mechanical hackamore, um, it, it's, uh, it's a different tool. I'm talking about a rawhide hackamore, a hackamore that, you know, is out around the horse's nose. It has enough space underneath the horse's jaw, um, and it's usually made out of rawhide. And there's other materials. You can make one out of latigo. You can make it out of kangaroo, um, depending on, you know, the style or what you're around. Um, but the, the, the nice thing about a hackamore, if, if you all think of riding in a snapple, you know, it pulls on the corners of the horse's mouth. Um, the, the snapple is, for the most part, a direct rein. It's a give to pressure. So if I pull on the right rein, it, it pulls on the right side of the horse's mouth. The horse pulls to the pressure. With the hackamore, if you put your uh, middle fingers and your thumbs together as it goes around your nose and your chin, you know, if you pull on the right rein, the the right side of the hackamore actually rotates open and the left side of the hackamore collapses on the horse's nose. So it closes on the nose. So the hackamore is a, is a move from pressure, move away from pressure. And the the tricky thing with a hackamore is it's a it's a tool that helps the rider have better hands and that, that I'm sure you, I, if I could have a dollar for the amount of times y'all probably talked about the use of your hands on this radio show 
uh, is probably going to pay quite a bit because we're all we're always talking about it doesn't matter the tool, it matters the hands. It doesn't matter the rider's education, it matters the hand. So what, I, what I'm talking about, when you transition from a Snapple to a Hackamore, the Hackamore tool really helps the rider have feedback of how their hands are using it. If you hold pressure too long in a Hackamore, the horse is going to push against it. The Hackamore is going to use its it's going to lose its uh, details on how it's going to work. So what the hackamore helps us learn is some rhythmic pressure. So you can put slight little tugs, slight little bumps on the hackamore, and that helps educate the horse to keep the horse nice and soft. So that's just a little little tidbit on the hackamore. <laughs> yeah, so, so a lot of times I hear the term bosal, hackamore. What's the difference? Same, different, related? <laughs> So, Bosal is the actual material that goes around the horse's nose. The hackamore is the actual setup of the headgear and the rein. So, you know, if, people's, if people are going to sell you a Bosal, uh, it's just the actual piece. And so, you know, I, I enjoy the word Basel. It, it's Bosal. And you want to think of how can I go pick out nice equipment how can what do i know the difference between a good versus a, a not so good quality it's just a matter of getting out and feeling it and looking at it and getting yourself around it so anytime there's a a bosal go check it out because they're all made out of different materials and they have different feels so um just go get your hands on one okay so i've i've always heard of it as the bosal is the piece and then when you put the reins on it that is the hackamore is that right correct Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about the difference between a side pole and a hackamore? You bet. So what a side pole does is it's got a pull from the side. So some side poles, um, they just go around the bridge of the horse's nose and they don't, like it's, the circumference is quite smaller than a bosal. So when I look at a, a side pull, think of like a cavison with reins on it. And so what this allows the horse to do, you know, it allows you all to talk to the horse outside of the horse's mouth, but there, there's lacking a leverage component. So when I think of a side pull, with it being that tight around the horse, when you pull the right rein, you are, you are just pulling the, the left side of the side pull. And then when you go to back up, the horse is feeling that just on the, the bridge of their nose, where the hackamore is quite a bit longer. So a hackamore usually in length is anywhere from 10 and a half to uh, 12 inches. So it's quite long. And so your reins attach underneath the horse's chin. And the nice thing about a hackamore is it has a signal, whereas the, the side pole lindsay, it, it rests on the horse's nose. The hackamore does the same thing. It rests on the horse's nose, but also it hangs off of the horse's chin. So when you pull on the rein, uh, the horse can feel the hackamore engage on the bridge nose and then from underneath on the chin. And so that's where you get the, the rhythmic pressure effect. The horse has the opportunity to feel the hackamore lift up, engage on the nose, engage on the chin, and then here comes the pressure. Whereas the the side pull, it's already there in close contact. So what I like to have with my tools and my horses, I like to give them some time to figure out some pressure. And so uh, it, it's just a, 
it's a delayed action of pressure, which gives my horse that opportunity to figure out the response before full pressure comes on. So side pulls just, they're, they're like a cavison with reins on. I want to use a hackamore. It's going to help, uh, start introducing my horse to, to chin pressure. So when I ride in a leverage bridle, they're starting to get used to working with pressure coming from underneath their chin. And is that reason right there, what you ended on, is that why the hackamore comes after the snaffle as opposed to before? Can you tell us a little bit about why it's the in-between progression between the snaffle and the bridle? You bet. I mean, I tell people go snaffle, then hackamore, so that you get to know the horse. Because when I told Tara, the hackamore really helps the rider understand their hand. Um, a lot of us, when we ride, we ride with our elbows close to our hips and we pull back to our belts. If you do that in a hackamore, Lindsay, the, the horse is going to have a, a confused signal. And so with the hackamore, it helps us extend our elbows and, and pull our reins out to the side. And so if, if I just pull the right rein straight back in a hackamore, to me, my horse doesn't know if I'm asking for a turn, for a backup, and it can be quite confusing. So the the use of your hands can really help your horse understand. So when I with the progression, I tell folks, go snaffle, hackamore, so that you get to know how your horse responds to pressure. Because if, if somebody just went out and got a horse, and they've never ridden it, but then they also never used a hackamore, and they go to put the two and two together, geez, it could be quite confusing for the horse and the rider. So um, but once people get familiar with the hackamore and you know how to place your hands and you know how to help your horse, if your horse gets a little concerned, um, then I challenge a lot of folks to go and, and just start in the hackamore. Cause that, that, like I said, that's how the hackamore uh, was born. It was used as a halter training tool. And then that's what the tool that I had when they got on the horse's back. And what about, what about the psychology of a horse that's, trained in the snaffle, trained in the bridle? Like, is there, is there a different mental skill set that comes from being able, I mean, like physically, okay, there's a, like you said, a yield to and a yield from pressure, right? But is there any sort of psychological difference that you notice or feel when you're taking a horse through the series? You bet. And so by going from the snaffle to the hackamore, I've ridden my horse in the snaffle numerous times i know how my horse responds to pressure i know what i I, my horse has shown me what his responsibilities are either it be a flexion either it being a maneuver responsibility and so when i transition to the hackamore i want to see if the maneuvers are either solid or it, it gives me a chance to see if my horse truly understood what i taught him in a snaffle but the hackamore and the snaffle have so much similarities in that we use two reins to help them that you can capitalize on teaching similar maneuvers with a similar tool. So you want to think like learning a new language, like everybody, you may not know Spanish, but you know, gracias, you may not know Spanish, but you know what agua is. And so by having these familiar words, you can start to learn a new language, even though the same subjects, uh, the subjects can be similar. So that's what I think of by transitioning from the snaffle into the hackamore. It really gives me a gauge on how well my horse is progressing. If I can get all the maneuvers done in two different 
types of tools, then I, then I know my horse is understanding what I'm asking. One of the reasons I asked that question is I've heard that when you ride a horse in a hackamore, one of the values of riding a horse in the hackamore is that it helps them develop the skill set of hunting the middle, like you would want them to hunt the line on a pattern or something like that. So can you just kind of help explain, if you agree with that, if you explain that as a skill set and as an important function of why you would choose a hackamore as a part of your progression? You bet. So when I think of the snaffle, I always think of the requirement I want my horse to learn is to is to put slack in the rein. So if I pull back with both reins, I want the horse to not only give to my hands, uh, but put effort in giving me slack and backing up. And and sometimes that might be a hard thing to picture. Um, so the education, the snaffle, I I capitalize it with slack. I want the horse to give me slack. In the hackamore, it, it's I want my horse ready, and so how the hackamore hangs on the the head of the horse, you know, it's it's floating. It, it's so if I were to pick up on the hackamore, my horse should already understand put slack in the reins, give the rider slack. Uh, but more importantly, it, it's like a hula hoop around the nose. Wherever wherever that hackamore takes the nose, I want that nose to move with it and away from it and so it, i always think of like a hot potato like i mean i love sports and i love engaging and playing and and so if there's a game where i have to be ready to catch something but then get rid of it quickly that's my mentality when i think of a good hackamore horse they feel the pressure they move from it they're ready for the next uh response so it's not that i want my horse scared of a hackamore but hunting that middle, wherever the hackamore moves, I want my horse to put the slack in it, so that that hackamore hangs on the horse's mouth, without, or hanging on the horse's head without any pressure. So I, a hackamore horse is super sensitive; they're ultra light, and they're looking to put slack in that rein. So hunting the middle, wherever that hackamore takes them, they slide and they glide right into it. Well, great. That was really helpful, Trevor. Thank you so much. Uh, we're looking forward to the next episode where you're going to share some tips on what you look for when selecting a hackamore. But if folks have questions for you in the meantime, how would they find out about you? So you can go to carterranchhorse.com and you know look us up and send us questions if you have them. Uh, because I always enjoy asking or answering questions on tools and, and where to find you know quality gear and how to get people started. They say a good rider can hear his horse speak to him. But a great rider can hear his horse whisper. The years he's given me. Nobility without conceit. Friendship without envy. Beauty without vanity. A loyalty without compromise. I borrowed freedom when we rode. The history of mankind and civilization rode with us. His body took the weight of mine and I was carried through. I can still hear that whisper. 
for more information on the complete line of horseware turnouts, including Rambo, Rhino, and Amigo. Visit horseware.com or ask your local retailer or online supplier for more information on horseware.com. Well, that's a wrap, everybody. Find links to today's show at horsesinthemorning.com, where you will also find players for all of the episodes as well as the live player. You can follow us on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Horse Radio. Have all the shows with you wherever you go by downloading the free Horse Radio Network app. Just go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. It's free. Or you can listen via your favorite podcatcher. We're everywhere you are. So tune in again tomorrow for more of Horses in the Morning. Thank you.